Welcome to Equity Matters. I'm Tyler Bond, and on this episode, we're going to talk about race and school spending. Today's guests are Dr. Bob Bifulco, a professor of public administration, and Sarah Souders, a doctoral student in public administration, both at the Maxwell School of Citizenship and Public Affairs at Syracuse University. Bob and Sarah recently published a working paper titled Racial Disparities in School Poverty and Spending. Thanks for joining us, Bob and Sarah. Oh, great to be here. Thanks, Tyler. Yeah, thanks for having me. Schools are as segregated today as they were in the late 1960s. New York is still the most segregated for Black students and the second most segregated for Hispanic students behind California. So how does racial segregation lead to unequal educational opportunity for Black and Hispanic students? The fact of racial segregation in U.S. schools at least creates the possibility that Black and Hispanic students will encounter systematically different schools and and systematically different educational experiences um, in those schools. Uh, And two ways that those experiences might differ. One is uh, has to do with the level of student educational need uh, in the schools that are attended by Black and Hispanic students uh, as opposed to those compared to those uh, of white students. And in particular, one thing we know is that low-income students and the percentage of low-income students in a school can have lots of important effects on the school. And the second factor that we focus on here is uh, access to uh, per-pupil student funding and student spending. Again, if Black and Hispanic students are attending different schools in large part than white students are, that suggests that um, access to resources may differ systematically between races. How does the average white, Black, and Hispanic students' district differ in terms of educational need? The average Black an average Hispanic student attends a school with much higher levels of poverty than the average white student school. So in the average black student school, 62% of students are low income. In the average Hispanic student school, 59% are low income. And compare that to the percent low income in the average white student school, which is about 32%. So those are pretty large differences. What about school spending? How does school spending differ by race? If you just look at per-pupil spending without worrying about differences in the costs across different educational environments, we find that in the average black students' school spends about 6.6% more than the average white student's school. Uh, the average Hispanic student school spends about 3% more than the, the average Hispanic student's school. So these schools are, are spending more, but is that addressing the costs adequately? Right. So so that, you know, the the stark difference in exposure to student low-income classmates uh, right naturally raises that question, whether the small amount of additional spending that Black and Hispanics seem to have access to is sufficient to address those needs. And so that's where we draw on this literature that tries to estimate the cost of Uh, an additional low-income student. Um, And so using estimates from that literature, uh, we develop what we call cost-adjusted spending measures, which uh, makes the um, spending more comparable across districts with different levels of student need. And what that analysis tells us is that 
spending in the average black student's district falls about 12 or 13 percent short of what would be needed to provide the students in that school the same chance of achieving ed, uh, educational outcomes as are achieved in the average white student school. Uh, and the figure for black and Hispanic students is about the same there. So they're getting, uh, so an, another way to say that is by these estimates, about 80, the black and Hispanic, average black and Hispanic student schools have about 80%, 87% of the funding they need to provide equal educational opportunities. So let's talk about costs. So why are schools with concentrated poverty more expensive to operate uh, than wealthier schools? Yeah, so I think there are three main reasons that have been cited in the education policy literature. So that there's difficulty attracting and retaining high quality teachers in a lot of these schools. So you have to pay more to have a high quality teacher to, um, to limit uh, attrition of teachers you also might need to pay more for student educational services. Uh, there might be more intensive services that are required. Um, and this is not necessarily helped by the fact that uh, students in these schools are, are typically exposed to many stressors at home that influence early cognitive development. So the classroom and peer environments might be less conducive to educational achievement. So you're saying that not only do the students need more educational support services, but the teachers are going to demand higher wages. Yeah, that's exactly right. Two things happening. So why do teachers ask for higher wages to teach in, in high poverty schools? There certainly is a, a large literature that documents the fact that schools with concentration of low-income students, with concentration of uh uh, minority students, they tend to have uh, lower quality teachers. They tend to have more novice teachers. They tend to have more teacher turnover. And now the reasons for that are a little bit more difficult to say. You know, part of it may be related to the other things Sarah mentioned, like some of the stresses that are more prevalent in schools of high poverty. Um, the extent to which comfort Racial biases or prejudices play is is harder to say, um, but that may be part of it as well. There's also a, a set of study that Jim uh, Wyckoff and, and Hamp Langford did a number of years ago, which suggested that you know teachers tend to go and teach at schools that are both geographically close to where they used to work and similar to where they went to school. They're segregated schools that's going to perpetuate this uh, kind of segregation of, of teachers as well. In order to achieve the same level of teacher quality, high poverty schools are going to have to pay more. So I'm convinced that high poverty schools, which are predominantly black and Hispanic, uh, have higher resource needs. So what are states doing about this? Well, states are oftentimes and largely in the last two decades, have implemented school finance reforms where they're targeting more money in their kind of state aid funding package to these types of districts. And so this additional funding is often tied to you know, the types of pupils. So it's, it's typically tied to whether students are identified as low income, English learner, or they have disabilities that might require more intensive services. So those are the types of things in districts with high concentrations of these students are often receiving more if they're in one of these states that has undergone reform at the district level. How do you quantify how much an additional low-income student costs uh, as compared to 
a higher income student? There have been several approaches that have been taken to try to address that question. The, the one that uh, I find most convincing are those that kind of rely on historical data and relationships between proportion of low-income students in a school or a district, uh, the amount of spending in the district, and the outcomes in the district. There's a set of folks, some of, uh, some of the leading folks here at Maxwell, that have uh, developed techniques for trying to um, sort out how much more a district needs to spend when they have uh, more low-income students holding constant uh, the level of achievement. So in the data, I believe you came up with a few different measures. One was that low-income students required 50% more spending. Another was that they required twice the amount of spending. And then the third was that they required 2.5 times the amount of spending. So which of these measures did you settle on and why did you do that? Like I said, this is a difficult task to try to precisely identify how much more it costs to give low-income students an equal chance of achieving uh, educational outcomes. The way you try to handle that type of uncertainty in analyses is to pick lower case, uh, mid-case, and higher case scenarios. That, that's what we did there. Now, you know, what's our best guess or what's the, what, what do we think are the best estimates in the literature? They're probably closer to that it costs twice as much to to bring to give a low income student equal chance of achieving educational outcomes but that's that's a very rough number which is the reason we uh we wanted to be see how sensitive um some of the comparisons we made to was to our choice of that type of uh student pupil weight and part of the reason for the lowest cost estimate is that most states in their aid packages, they're not spending twice as much. So most states are not meeting that threshold of adequate spending. And we're trying to see whether that makes a difference, even if states are spending less than what might be necessary. How much of a difference does that make than when they are spending what the studies indicate might be necessary? So the states can decide uh, whether higher poverty districts receive more or less funding, and they largely do um, allocate a little more funding for the districts that are predominantly Black or Hispanic. But once you get within the district, do districts replicate that um, equitable distribution? Uh, do, in other words, do they allocate more for Black and Hispanic students and for high-poverty schools than they do for um, wealthier white schools? Well, until recently, we really didn't know systematically whether this is the case or not. There have been quite a few kind of case studies of large metropolitan districts um, looking at Chicago, looking at New York City, looking at Rochester, like a few one-off um, studies were done kind of in the early 2000s. But really, this question hadn't been revisited until now when we have nationally available school-level spending data. And so that is kind of one of the advantages of our paper is that we're able to take such a comprehensive look at the within-district distributions of spending. And so before earlier literature, it really was mixed. There are some studies that find that um, the spending in these schools was greater, but the, the quality of resources um, typically judged by the number of teachers that have only a few years of experience or lower levels of education. So these schools might be spending more, but their 
spending more on lower quality resources. We find that there's quite a bit of variation across our metro areas as well. So we provide kind of average estimates in the paper, but we also dig into some of that variation to find that about 74 metro areas are not spending more um, within districts for the Black students compared to white students. So Bob, take us inside the black box. How do districts allocate their resources among schools? Is it based on a formula? There's two approaches that districts have taken to distributing resources across schools. One is a staff funding model where basically they say, you know, we're going to give each school a certain number of teachers per student, uh, and we're going to give them a certain amount of other staff per student. And then they assign those staffs to the schools, and that's what drives uh, most of the funding to the schools. Now, that funding model can lead to inequities in the following way, right? If low-income, high-minority schools uh, have a harder time attracting and retaining qualified, experienced teachers, then they're going to tend to have uh, less qualified teachers, right? They're going to have less experienced teachers, right? And since a lot of the teacher salaries are tied to the experience level, right, then that ends up driving uh, more resources towards more advantaged schools that have uh, more qualified and, and more experienced teachers. That's what you find in your results. Well, again, it's um, it's a varied picture. Um, it, it varies a little bit across uh, different districts and, and different uh, regions. Because um, another funding, a second funding model, which some districts have moved towards recently, actually tries to address that issue I just talked about by uh, using what are known as uh, student uh, weighted student funding formulas, right? And then instead of allocating staff to schools and kind of letting the dollars follow the staff that are allocated, they allocate dollars to the school and then provide the schools a bit more flexibility with uh, what they're going to use those dollars to hire. Uh, And usually when districts adopt that type of system, they design formulas that drive more dollars to schools with more low-income students and students with other types of needs, English as second language, special education needs. Um, And so, you know, because the way that districts handle resource allocation differs, the the answer to your question differs. So, So, you know, we're finding that in some places, black, white disparities and Hispanic white disparities are made worse uh, in through these within district allocation procedures. Uh, but in other places, they're ameliorated a little bit, right? And so, you know, one of the things I think that sets up is, you know, I think that's an area that a lot of people are interested in now, understanding a bit better um, how within district al- uh, resource allocations contribute to or ameliorate uh, inequities in school funding. What are the regional differences in your findings? Do you find that the Northeast and the South and West and Midwest systematically differ in their racial disparities in school funding? Things are worse in the Northeast <laughs> is, the, is the short answer to that question. So um, what's primarily driving that is racial segregation tends to be higher in the Northeast. Um, and to a lesser extent, uh, but still more than in the South and the West, it's uh, racial segregation is higher in the Midwest. Uh, and so what that means is there's kind of more scope 
for these uh, inequities to arise. And so what you really see is very stark differences in exposure to poverty among black and white students in the Northeast. It's in, in the Northeast where those disparities are largest. And so black students in the Northeast are, are really very likely to go to school with very high levels of student need. And now that's compounded a little bit in the Northeast because unlike in some other regions, they're not uh, using more per pupil spending in black and Hispanic schools uh, in the Northeast. Um, and so both factors are really contributing to making things a little bit more stark uh, in the Northeast. Uh, and so I think the figure is uh, in the Northeast, the average black student school has about 77% of the funding needed to provide their students equal opportunity to achieve outcomes on par with uh, those in, in the schools that the average white student is in. It's interesting that in the data, it shows that the South is actually doing better in terms of these racial disparities than the Northeast is. Well, again, I think part of that goes back to the history of desegregation efforts uh, in the U.S. The South, many district, districts in the South were under uh, pretty stringent uh, desegregation uh, requirements from the courts uh, and actually achieved large amounts of uh, integration as a result of those court orders. And for a complicated set of reasons uh, and court rulings, um, there were never the same type of efforts made in the in outside the South to desegregate the schools, all right. And so you you and and that's one that's one of the reasons why you're you're seeing you see higher levels of segregation uh, in the Northeast and other places, which then gives the scope uh, for these types of inequities in access to resources and exposure to student need. Because the court hasn't intervened in the Northeast the same way that it did in the South. And, and in fact, have, have placed constraints on uh, trying to address issues of segregation uh, on districts in the Northeast. And Sarah, the West shows higher Latino segregation, perhaps for the same reasons. I think that's largely because that's where most of the Hispanic population is concentrated. Um, we're able to see that. Uh, I mean, we do have some bigger cities like New York City that do have a, a large proportion of Hispanic students in other regions. But um, I think a lot of that segregation is just driven by kind of the prevalence of the population in the West. What are the long-term trends here? Are racial disparities widening, shrinking, or staying the same? So we look at between 2006 and 2018, and we really find that these disparities have not changed much at all in spending. And in fact, they've gotten a little bit worse um, over time. And particularly in the Northeast, again, they've gotten a little bit worse. The pattern in the Northeast is interesting. The, the differences between Black and white students, Hispanic and white students, and exposure to low-income classmates has gotten a little bit better uh, in the Northeast. But also, the in 2006, uh, districts in the Northeast were spending a bit more on Black and Hispanic uh, students' schools, uh, but that's no longer the case uh, today. So overall, the, the kind of the cost-adjusted disparities that we're uh, looking at um, got a little bit worse uh, in the Northeast. But, but Sarah's right, the, the bigger takeaway is we're not making progress, right? If we think it's 
if we think the goal is to to try to achieve parity um, on these types of measures that we're using, uh, we're, we're not making progress. It sounds like the Northeast is backsliding since spending on low-income students decreased over the last 10 years. Well, it's interesting that we haven't made much progress despite kind of these large district-wide efforts, right? So what we're seeing is what we're able to document is that we haven't made much progress in closing between district gaps, right? So we don't have the longitudinal data for the within within district allocations. And so when we're, we're thinking about um, the effectiveness of spending more on students and the school finance reform literature that shows that spending matters, what what we're documenting in in addition to that is that spending matters, but also the allocations between districts, despite some of these reforms, are really not decreasing disparities as we would expect once you account for costs. Bob, do you have takeaways for policymakers? To me, there there's two uh, policy issues, both of which we've discussed a little bit that I, I think are really, um, these types of findings cause me to want to think a little bit more about. One is integration, school desegregation, or what I, I think would be better called uh, school integration policies. Again, I think what creates the scope for these types of disparities is the segregation of students across schools. And, and so I think the idea that school finance reform can offset some of the, for instance, the increased exposure to low-income classmates for Black and Hispanic students, I, you know, I don't think we're going to get there uh, with school finance reform by itself. I do think we need efforts to that take as a goal trying to achieve more uh, integration across schools. Uh, and the second thing which we talked a, a bit about is, you know, I think we need to pay attention to uh, not only how resources are distributed across school districts, but also across schools within school districts. You know, I think thinking about policies to ensure that those resources are be di being distributed in an equitable way is something that that deserves more attention. And and you could go further and and think about the distribution of resources across students within schools. But it would at least be a step in the right, right direction to to be thinking more about the distribution of resources across schools within districts. Well, I encourage everyone to read the report by Dr. Bifolko and Sarah Souders. It's called Racial Disparities in School Poverty and Spending. Thanks for joining us, Bob and Sarah. Thank you. Thanks. Please subscribe to the Equity Matters podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. We also encourage you to visit our website at educational-equity.org. Thanks for listening to Equity Matters.